Why worry alone? The Rocky Mountain Myrick Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program provides free one-on-one consultation for any provider, both community and VA, who serves veterans at risk for suicide. For more information about this program and to check out all our resources, please visit the consult page at www.myrec.va.gov slash bisn19 slash consult. To initiate a consult, please email srmconsult at va.gov. Hashtag never worry alone. Welcome, everyone. We're here from the Rocky Mountain Myrick for Veteran Suicide Prevention in Denver, Colorado. I'm Joe Huggins filling in for our usual host, Adam Hoffberg, and thank you for joining us for the next installment of the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. Today, we will be chatting with Margaret Ligarada, and Dr. Ligarada is a clinical research psychologist here at the Rocky Mountain Myrick. And she is in our Salt Lake City office. Margaret is a lead author on a publication that came out in February titled Suicide Behavior and Chronic Pain, an exploration of pain-related catastrophic thinking, disability, and descriptions of the pain experience. Welcome, Margaret. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Joe. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me and highlight this work. It's an honor. Oh, it's our privilege, really. Okay, so before we get started, um, Margaret, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit how you came to be interested in this research? Yeah, sure. Um, I've always been interested in the intersection between physical health and mental health. So prior to graduate school, I worked in um, HIV prevention research, and then I was able to kind of carry that interest through graduate school looking at uh, HIV as well as other chronic illnesses and the impact on mental health. When I was able to go to my internship, I went to a VA in Central Texas, and I was able to gain uh, considerable experiences in the area of behavioral medicine as well as uh, rehabilitation. And during these experiences, I worked considerably with veterans who were experiencing chronic pain. It became very apparent that the mental health impact of these veterans who were experiencing chronic pain was incredible. So when I was able to come to the Rocky Mountain Myrick, I knew that what I wanted to examine was the impact of chronic illness on suicide with a specific emphasis on um, chronic pain and the relationship to chronic pain and suicide. Mm, okay. Um, so you've had some quite a bit of experience here at the VA, and I know you've been with uh, Rocky Mountain Myrick for, what, four years, five years? Five years, yeah. Oh, great. Okay, so this study, the study this paper is based on, um, looked at differences in suicidal ideation and suicide attempts in veter- veterans with chronic pain. So before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about the subtitle, An Exploration of Pain-Related Catastrophic Thinking, Disability, and Descriptions of the Pain Experience? Can you tell us what you mean by each, and why don't we start with uh, pain-related catastrophic thinking? Sure. Uh, That's a great question, Joe, and definitely a mouthful to get that all out, so uh, unpacking it a little bit is great. 
Um, I always yeah. actually like to define my terms specifically because I feel that not only does it make the research more interpretable, it makes it also more reproducible. And so what we know in general is that chronic pain has been associated with suicide, and that's been reported across many populations. And we wanted to try to identify some constructs that would help us understand these connections. And so specifically, we were looking at some cognitive con constructs in, in this paper in order to help us understand the association between chronic pain and suicide. So when we talk about uh, pain catastrophizing or cat catastrophic thinking related to pain, uh, in general, what I'm referring to are these negatively distorted thoughts about the pain experience. And pain catastrophizing specifically as a construct has been um, divided into three types of negative thought, with the first type of thought um, being defined as the tendency to describe a painful experience in a more exaggerated or magnified term than um, the general population or the average person would. So these people might be more apt to say something like, um, uh, oh, this this pain is, I, you know, I wonder, something serious must be happening. This is this is just a really terrible experience. Uh, and then another subcomponent is this idea of rumination. And people might say say to themselves or have thoughts that, are like, I can't seem to keep this pain out of my mind. The final area of catastrophic thinking related to pain then is this idea of being helpless about the experience. And these people might say something in in the order of, there's nothing I can do to reduce the intensity of the pain I'm experiencing. Uh, we also looked at a construct called uh, perceived disability. And this is the idea or the the um, the belief that a person is having a major impact in their their daily life roles as a result of their pain. And so the measure looks at seven major life areas and how they feel, the individual feels their life has been disrupted by the, the chronic pain experience. And some of these areas are kind of family roles or self-care or occupational functioning. Thanks for that, Margaret. Uh, can you tell our audience, what you mean by affective and sensory pain, please? Sure, yeah. Um, oftentimes when we think of pain, we think of pain as kind of this physical sensation. And that is certainly true of both chronic and acute pain, but probably more, acute, more true of acute pain in and of itself. Uh, specifically with my interest in chronic pain, there's a couple of dimensions that we're interested in. So the physical sensation or the physical pain we'll kind of start up, start with. And this dimension is comprised of the perception of intensity, location, and kind of the quality of the painful experience itself. People who um, describe their pain in kind of a more sensory manner might use terms such as uh, throbbing or shooting, sharp, hot, aching, tender, or splitting, whereas affective pain then can be defined as the perceived unpleasantness of the painful event or experience. And people who endorse more affective pain components might be more likely to describe their pain as suffocating, vicious, miserable, or terrifying. And it's important to know that these are not um, mutually exclusive. You can, you can define your pain in both sensory and affective terms, but that they seem to be separate dimensions when we're talking about chronic pain that can be measured separately. Oh, okay. So then why don't we talk, get into, dive right into the results of the, the study. Tell us what they are. Okay, great. 
Yeah, so what we found in general is that pain catastrophizing was result related to both um, suicide ideation and suicide attempts. And so what I mean by that is when we did some post-hoc analysis, we found that the general component of pain catastrophizing as an overall score um, differentiated veterans who said that they didn't have any suicide behaviors or suicide ideation from veterans who did report suicide ideation as well as from veterans who did report suicide attempts. And so what that meant is as people reported more pain-related catastrophic beliefs or thoughts, they also were more likely to report a history of suicide ideation and more likely to report a history of suicide attempts. We found this to be an interesting concept, but because pain catastrophizing has been broke down into kind of subcomponents or subscales in the literature, we wanted to also look at was there um, one type of catastrophizing that was more related to um, suicide ideation and suicide attempts, or were they kind of all related? And again, what we found was that each of those subscales were um, independently related to both suicide ideation and suicide attempts. So as a person reported a history of suicide ideation, they were more likely to also report or endorse higher levels of rumination, magnification, and helplessness, as well as if they reported historical suicide attempts, they were also going to endorse um, higher amounts of rumination, magnification, and helplessness. When we kind of look at this difference then between these pain descriptors, what I like to call them is this idea of the um, the affective versus the sensory pain. Uh, individuals who reported historical suicide ideation and attempts were also more likely to use more words that were sensory terms to describe their pain. So rather than marking only a few, they are more likely to mark many of the words available as a descriptor. And the same was true as of uh, with uh, affective descriptors. So if the person had suicide ideation or suicide attempt in their past, they were going to also define their their pain or describe their pain in uh, more act affective terms. The final kind of construct that we examined in this uh, paper was this idea of pain uh, perceived pain disability, and we kind of thought that if a person who um, reported suicide behaviors, suicide attempts, uh, and suicide ideation kind of in their back, in their history, they might also report more pain-related disability. And that didn't seem to be true. That was one of the areas in the paper that we were kind of surprised that an increase in um, disability was not necessarily associated with uh, suicide behaviors. Oh, that's interesting, too. Hmm. Well, good. So... One of the things we like to ask our guest is what can the clinician who has an appointment, say in 15 minutes, take away from your research? What can they use right now? Oh, absolutely. That's that's definitely a really good question and important um, to be able to address with any of the research we do is we want it to be able to uh, impact clinical intervention. So I think that's a, it's a great thing to talk about here. And I think one of the important take-home messages from uh, this research and research in this vein in general is that if you have a client who's um, who you know has chronic pain, that assessing for suicide ideation as well as suicide attempts and, and um, other behaviors such as preparatory behaviors is really important in that um, 
this should be kind of on your radar as an ongoing assessment tool as you're working with these people. However, from a perspective of treatment, though, it's also going to be helpful to identify how your uh, client is thinking about their pain. So I think that assessing the thoughts and feelings associated with chronic pain might actually give us direct areas for intervention. So we can challenge these distorted negative thoughts and um Research has indicated that by changing kind of the way that we think about our pain, it may actually help reduce the intensity of the pain reported. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to, that you're diminishing their feelings, because I know a lot of times when we talk about, well, if the person is telling you this is the worst thing that they've ever experienced, and we're asking them to challenge that, that we're diminishing their feelings around the pain, and that we're not kind of meeting them where they are. And and this is not really diminishing it. We're not saying, oh, you're not feeling this pain. We're it's not having this impact on your life. What we're trying to do is help them see their pain in a more balanced way. So yes, the pain is is um, intense. It's difficult. It's causing problems in your life. However, looking at the things that you still can do or being able to even moderate or temper the belief a little bit is likely to have an impact on how you feel pain at a later time or date. Um, what we find, too, is that in working with people with chronic pain, many times these people report that they sort of feel like they're checking out of their life due to uh, the fear that they may increase their pain or that just going out is just so much more effortful and that it's hard to be in the mindset to enjoy the experience. And so they kind of check out of life or hold back a little bit. And then they end up not only experiencing pain, but they experience this regret that they're not being able to engage in life and enjoy life fully. And I think by challenging some of these thoughts that you can't do these behaviors until your pain is gone will help the person not only um, kind of be more active and engage with their family and in, in, in activities more, but we can improve their mental health functioning as well by um, potentially reducing these beliefs that nothing can happen until X, Y, or Z happens. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how helpful that would be in in a clinical setting and how how you know you can try to work with a person to achieve that that balance that new thought patterns. Okay, so any future directions that you see for this research? Yeah, you know, I think that there's a number of ways that the research can go. I think that really kind of where we're at is we understand the that suicide and chronic pain are associated with one another. And we're beginning to understand a little bit more about this association. Clearly in this research, we looked at kind of how our thoughts and our beliefs impact that association. But I think that there are other, there are other variables that are important to consider here. And I think what a good direction might be is to continue to identify modifiable behaviors and thoughts that contribute to the experience of chronic pain and that way we have additional uh, methods for inter- intervening you know right now currently the method of treating chronic pain we either go from a behavioral perspective or a medical perspective where we use opiates and both have their place but um we are still having um huge amounts of reports of chronic pain in a veteran population 
and if we can find these other behaviors that might help kind of temper that pain or moderate that pain a little bit, that'd be great. Um, some areas I think that are would be important to consider are one of the one of the conditions associated with mental health uh, a variety of mental health conditions, including like PTSD, suicide ideation, depression, that's also associated with pain is insomnia, and maybe looking at how intervening on uh, a person's sleep might impact their pain and their mental health functioning as we know that if people are sleeping better, their muscles are more relaxed and their body is able to heal a little bit more, maybe the pain's a little less intense. I think that identifying these other um, conditions and thoughts and that are associated with uh, multiple areas of the of a veteran's functioning or a uh, client's functioning in general will be really useful. That brings up one of the things we often like to say to to our guest is sounds like we're going to have to have you back on in the future because you're doing some really exciting stuff. Well, I'd love to come back anytime. Okay, well, good. We're reaching the end here of our time. Any last thoughts you'd like to give to our audience? I guess if I had one final thought, it's just that in general when we're, you know, we tend to kind of view physical illness and, and mental illness as separate things, but you know, research is demonstrating more and more that, especially with chronic illness, there's a behavioral or a psychological component and thinking that when we are seeing our, our clients and they're coming in for PTSD or for depression, for whatever kind of um, presenting issue they might have, that we also take into in interest their physical health and how our interventions may improve their life experience in general. Right, that kind of that mind body balance. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Margaret, for your time. It really has been really interesting to hear about the work that you're doing. And you know, because chronic pain is such um, a topic and we know its effect on, on veterans, we'll look forward to hearing from, from you again in the not too distant future. All right, great. Thanks again, Joe. Okay, well, that's it for the Rocky Mountain Myrick Short Takes podcast today. We appreciate everyone for listening. Listeners, you can learn more about Margaret's work by clicking on some of the links that will be accompanying this podcast. We invite you to reach out to us if you have any comments or questions about this work or any ideas future interviews. As always, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, share it with colleagues, and we've got to tell you it's important that if you can, to give us a, a rating, it helps other people find this podcast. Okay, join us next time for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention, resilience, and well-being. Take care.